Well, I want to read just a few verses with you this morning. Well, probably more than a few from John chapter 13. I'm thinking a little bit about the future and what's likely to happen in the future. We don't have 2020 vision as we look ahead. But what I'd like to propose to you this morning is that uh, the future is hidden in the past. The future is hidden in the past. What I'm referring to is the types in the uh, scriptures. Uh, There are types and there are illustrations in the scriptures that point to future events. And uh, they don't point to them exactly, but they really, when you look back, you can really see, oh, that's what that's talking about back here. So these are the types of the Old Testament. They're shadows. They're called shadows. And in the same sense as a shadow, it doesn't look exactly like the reality does, but it tells you that there's something coming. There's a reality there behind the shadow. And so um, what I'd like to do is read this portion of John's Gospel that begins with the Feast of the Passover and talks about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And then there is a significant scripture that uh, Jesus said is being fulfilled. And so the scripture that is being fulfilled now is from the Psalms, written by David. And so when this was written, David had certain things in mind. Very unlikely what David had in mind, but beyond what David had in mind, is the Holy Spirit had something in mind. And the Holy Spirit is able to see down into the future, into the reality of what is being shadowed in the writings of David. As you look at these types of, uh, in, the, in the scriptures, If there ever was any doubt in anyone's mind about the reliability and the inspiration of the scriptures of the Old Testament, those doubts should be laid aside very quickly with an illumination of these types that point to real events. And they're just there by the dozens and by the, literally by the hundreds. So here uh, here I begin now again, John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, supper being ended. Pat, it's scriptural to refer to this as supper. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Let me just... Pause here for a moment, make an observation. Something happened in Judas Iscariot just a short time before this. Now, I believe, having read this over the years several numerous times, I believe that Judas was gifted. Judas had received giftings. Judas will be included in this company of disciples, and Jesus will wash his feet. And Jesus will wash the feet of Judas here, knowing that Judas is about to betray him but he will wash his feet. Judas was sent out to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to heal the sick, uh, as were the others. There was something that happened with a woman who came and anointed Jesus with this very costly perfume and ointment. It was very, very expensive. And she was led of the Holy Spirit to do that. And Jesus said she was. And he said that this was a testament to uh, to his death, about what he was about to experience. 
And he said basically that uh, what she had done would be spoken of historically throughout the history that would follow. Some of his disciples and Judas, I think, being the leader of this, thought this was a waste of money. And this money, for the, if you took the cost of this, you could have taken that and you could have done all kinds of benevolent things and fed the poor. But it says he didn't really care about the poor. But there was something within Judas that was beginning to, had begun to develop. And the devil, Satan, was involved in this within Judas, tempting him. And Judas was yielding to this temptation. Basically, Judas was privileged to be in that place where that woman was breaking that ointment and anointing Jesus with it. He was privileged to be there. But rather than realize that he was privileged to be there in that moment and to look at the spiritual meaning of it, and even if he didn't fully understand it, to say, Lord, I don't fully understand it, but I know there's something uh, good here. I know there's something useful here. And I will understand it later. I don't understand it now. But rather than do that, he said, well, this is a waste of money. This money could have been used for benevolent purposes. And then it was subsequent to that that he began to entertain this thought and idea and temptation. Scripture will say Satan already put it into his heart. But the point is that Satan doesn't just arbitrarily put things in people's hearts. He puts them there with the cooperation of the individual. And Judas was gifted. But I believe it's a, there's a lesson here. I haven't thought about this a great deal, but it's just something that's kind of before me to say. There's something about being gifted that we have to be very cautious and careful of and yield it continually to the Lord and never use a gift the Lord has given for a carnal purpose. And Judas was using a gifted position that he had been given and he was extrapolating a carnal interpretation to it and made himself vulnerable to the satanic temptation in so doing. But it was after this false interpretation on his part was something that he then decided to go out and betray. It says the devil already having put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin. See him, just see him in your mind's eye doing these things. He poured water into a basin. What is he doing? He's doing those things that servants would do. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing uh, to you, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, I, He said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, 
you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, he'd taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know all these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. What scripture is this? I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So Jesus is referencing a scripture. What scripture is it that he is referencing? And we find that it is in Psalm 41. Psalm 41 that Jesus is referencing. The scripture must be fulfilled. There is something was written in Psalm 41 that is relates to what is just happening now with Judas Iscariot. And I wonder what this could be. And Jesus said the scripture must be fulfilled. So when we're looking ahead now, as we are now right now, wondering what is about to occur, because we're at a very critical moment in time. We believe we are approaching the very end of this age. We believe that what Israel is beginning to experience now, you could argue that it has been experiencing things like this for some time, but there is a sense right now that what Israel is experiencing will not just be something that will go away suddenly, but it will be protracted. It will uh, occur over substantial amount of time moving ahead. Israel is coming under an attack and assault right now. I think there's good reason to believe that uh, this kind of attack will continue. And we're moving into a period of time referred to in Scripture as Jacob's Trouble, unique period of time. But what I'd like to say to you this morning is that the shadows that point to these events that are yet future, the shadows are found in the types of the Old Testament of Scripture. And now we have to be careful with the shadow because you can't just go back to the types and read the types and say, well, now it's going to be this and this. I know. No, there's a likeness to it that's difficult to know in advance exactly how it's going to look. But the broad outline of it, you can be certain of. Now, what is in Psalm 41? All right, Psalm 41, Psalm is being written, for example, I'll just read in verse 7, All who hate me whisper together against me, Psalm of David. Against me they devise my hurt, an evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Then verse 9, listen to this. This is the one Jesus just quoted and referred to. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel 
against me to betray me. David, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is writing this. Let me read it again. This is a thousand years before. This is about a thousand years before the event with Judas. That's a long time. Even my own familiar friend, somebody who's very close to David, it's his friend, a friend of David's, very close to him, in whom I trusted. What was the relationship with Jesus and Judas Iscariot before the time of betrayal came? We don't know in, in many respects because there's not a lot said, I believe. But we know the types. And the types would say to us that Judas was like a very likely different kind of person than what he eventually became. If you think of Judas as always a person who was opposed to Jesus, no. I believe it's very likely that Judas was one of the most fervent of his followers. Overtly, openly. Why do I say that? Well, to be true to the types, this friend of David is one that he trusted, was very close to him. But David said, even he who ate my bread. In other words, he came into my home, he fellowshiped, we had meals together, he ate my bread, we fellowshiped over food together, we had suppers together. <laughs> He's lifted up his heel against me, meaning he has betrayed me. Even he has betrayed me. Well, let's find a little bit more about this familiar friend. If we uh, turn to Psalm 55, and let me read a few verses from Psalm 55. Again, a Psalm of David. It begins, Give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint, and I, mo I moan noisily. He sighs. He's carrying a weight. And he says, Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me, my heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. David writing these. Notice, though, there's always the anointing of the Holy Spirit with the writing of Scripture. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, David said. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. He's in a very difficult place. If I had the wings like a dove, I would fly out of here. My mother used to sing like that when I was a boy. If I had the wings of an angel over these prison walls, I would fly, she sang. I don't know where this song came from, but I hated that song when she would sing. I thought, what's wrong with her? How come she's so unhappy? She was just singing a song. But I thought, oh my goodness, over these prison walls. I thought, she thinks she's in prison here with us. <laughs> I'd fly to the arms of my true love, and there I'd be willing to die. <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, Mom, that's horrible. Not only are you wanting to leave us, but you don't like Dad either. <laughs> and so she would sing that, and I would think this, and I would just be horrified of it. <laughs> Oh, he said, oh, that I had the wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O oh Lord, and divide their tongues. For I, have been, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go, 
Around it on the walls, iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. Now, in verse 12, listen, he comes to something. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Now, this is a type. These are types or shadows that will find a a fulfillment in the life and ministry of Jesus and in the betrayal of Jesus by Judas Iscariot. And yet this is a real event that happened in time and space with David. So the situation is not exactly in every way, just like a shadow is not exactly like the reality that it that causes it. He said, it's not an enemy who reproaches me. I could bear it then. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. He's risen up against me. He said, then I could hide from him. But it was you. A man my equal. That's not, that's saying something. This is the king of Israel. It was you, a man my equal. This is, you know, every once in a while in life, very seldom, but occasionally in life, you'll come in and have fellowship with somebody who's just like, you have a rapport with that person. Like you can talk with that person at a level that you can't talk with most others at. It's just, it's a rare thing that happens. Some people, I think, live entire lives and don't experience that. There is such a thing as a kindred spirit, a a sense of... uh, You know, you and I, uh, you and I have an equivalence together where we can share and understand things at a level where uh, I can talk to you about this, you can talk to me about that. I've had a a couple of friends that I've been able to in my lifetime like that in certain ways. But David had one that was like that, king of Israel. And he said, "He's, he's my equal. That tells us a little bit here about Judas too, in a sense, that the scripture doesn't tell us exactly, and I don't want to go beyond what we know, but I just want to say that the shadows point to a reality. I would say that when Judas began to harbor these um, misunderstandings of Jesus and what was happening, he began to interpret them in a carnal way, rather than interpret them from the Holy Spirit. Be very careful in our walk. We should all be very careful in our walk that we do not interpret things in a carnal way. That we seek to interpret things from the illumination of the Holy Spirit and not from our own heart and mind. That will be something, if we do that, that will be something that the adversary will seek to use against us. And he did that with Judas Iscariot because Judas gave him the opportunity to do that. And so did this man here. This man who is um, betraying, in the process of betraying (coughs) David by agreeing with Absalom's rebellion, was a counselor of David. He was, his name was Ahithophel. And the scripture tells us in other places that the counsel of Ahithophel was like the counsel of God. He was anointed in his understanding of things. And when he gave advice as counsel, it was just as if a person had received it from God because it was true. It was, um, it was inspired. 
And he gave Absalom inspired advice as to what he should do to, to conquer and destroy David, his father. But his advice was rejected. Even though, even in that moment, had it been accepted, they would have been successful in their ambitions against David the king. But they refused to take Ahithophel's advice. Absalom refused it, along with another advisor. And the scripture tells us that that was directed at the Lord because the Lord intended for the demise of Absalom. But see, these are all shadows. These are all shadows here in the Old Testament that point to events that are yet future. Well, it's the same thing now. So all these things now that are happening in the future now with regards to Israel and so on, you want to know something about Israel and what it's likely to experience going forward and many other things. Look for the right, look for the uh, shadows, look for the types. Let me continue to read in Psalm 55. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. Listen to this. We took sweet counsel together and we walked to the house of God in the throng. We walked to the house of God. We walked to the temple for worship together. You and I, David and Ohithophel, his very close friend. Great trusting relationship. There has been a commentary on this. And I won't go into the background of all of this commentary. I'll just, I'll just offer it as commentary. We find a commentary on the scriptures that Ahithophel, Ahithophel was related to Bathsheba or a friend of Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, was friendly towards them, that there was a close affinity there. And that in the betrayal of her husband and David's actions towards Bathsheba, that this was the root cause of the change in Ahithophel. Now, I just mentioned that, and I can't say, I just mentioned that very, very carefully, because the scripture doesn't tell us that, but commentaries allude to that. And much of this commentary would go back to Jewish writings and, and, and understanding of the Old Testament. But I'll say this. There's always, whenever anything like this happens, this, these kinds of betrayals occur, there's always something that comes up, there's a misunderstanding. There's something that is viewed in a natural, carnal way and not viewed in a spiritual way. And again, I'm saying it now for the second time, we should be very careful in our walk with the Lord that we seek His understanding of all things. And even when we're troubled by events that occur, and even when we find that we could easily uh, sort of come up with a natural explanation. We should be very careful, especially if we're using any gifting the Lord has given us in using it to come to a natural conclusion. And that would be to misuse a gift. I'm saying Ahithophel did that because he didn't see the big picture. Yes, did David sin in regards to Bathsheba? Absolutely, yes. But these are, these are things that God is the judge of. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Ahithophel had no, if this was the true understanding, he had no right whatsoever to take this course of action. He needs to put these things in, in the Lord's hands, and so do we. You ever feel like you like to take you know, vengeance against something? No. 
vengeance belongs to the Lord. Judas Iscariot, I believe, did something very similar to that which Ahithophel. That's why Ahithophel is a type and the ultimate fulfillment is found in Judas Iscariot and what he did. But there are likenesses and similarities there. Well, that takes me down to Genesis chapter 44. And I'd like to read just a, a short portion now from the 44th chapter. And this involves Joseph. Joseph is in Egypt. Joseph, in many respects, is a type of Jesus, a type of Messiah. As Joseph was betrayed by his family. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Uh, his father's name is, is Jacob or Israel. So his father is Israel. Joseph is, uh, they, they tell Jacob that his uh, favorite son Joseph is dead, been destroyed by some wild animal and, uh, when he went to visit his brothers as shepherds. Remember, he took his, his brothers took his coat of many colors and killed an animal and dipped the, the torn, they ripped his coat and they spilled the blood of the animal all over his coat, took it to his father and said, we found it in the desert. Father said, oh, my son has been killed by a wild beast. Meanwhile, they had sold him with silver, 20 pieces of silver, to a caravan of Amalekites, I think it was, going down into Egypt. But Joseph is very much alive and is blessed by the Lord in everything that he does. And he's a type. Now, you see, you can't find exact, not exact. Everything's not exact parallels. So we can't just go to a type and extrapolate from that or calculate from that some exact thing. But there are likenesses and similarities. And the broad outline is the same. So here I am now and... and uh, so we have this, and the famine came, of course, and the famine came, and that meant that the very existence of Israel, or Jacob, up in the, what we refer to as the Promised Land, is, uh, is in doubt. Their, their uh, existence is threatened by the famine. And they need to go down to Egypt because they find out there's provision down there in Egypt. Why is there provision in Egypt? Because Joseph is there. And because Joseph has, has known by dreams and understanding of dreams what is going to happen in the future and because of his wise counsel, provision has been set aside for seven years of famine. But they don't know. His father Jacob, he doesn't know. He thinks Joseph is dead, but the one who has been re rejected and sold for silver pieces is now away, hidden from them in Egypt. Joseph recognizes his brothers when they come down. And it works out over a period of time that uh, there is one thing that Israel or Jacob will not do. He will not allow his youngest son, Benjamin, to go down. Like, he will give up so many things. But there's one thing he, standing up for Israel, will not give up. And that is his only son, his last son, his youngest son, Benjamin, because she is the he is the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. And he will not let him go down because he might lose him. And he will not lose him. He won't, let me put it this, he will not give him up. Now it comes to a period of time where, where Joseph down in Egypt is saying, you know, you need to bring your youngest son. You need to bring Benjamin down. Well, Benjamin is his full brother, right? You need to bring Benjamin down here. And they're saying, oh no, we can't. You, you must do it or you're not going to get any more grain. 
And finally, the father, Jacob or Israel, relents and is willing to give up. And if he dies, he dies. If I lose him, I will lose him. This is the big thing now when it comes to types and shadows. This tells us that there will come a period of time in Israel's future where it will face absolute annihilation. And the only one who can save it from that is Jesus, the Messiah. Joseph, the type. Jesus, the antitype or the fulfillment of the type. But Israel, in order to satisfy the requirements for the ultimate revelation of Messiah to the nation, that will come, that time will come when Jesus will reveal himself to the nation of Israel, national Israel. Now, I know that there's all these ideas about the church and Israel and so on. We we have to allow our thinking to become very um, spirit-led in this because there's a lot of ideas. But our thinking has to be spirit-led. So for our our thinking to be spirit-led, we have to offer up our thinking. We have to offer it up to the Lord to lead and guide in it. Is that reckless? No, that's not. That's an absolute requirement. And had Ahithophel done that, he never would have betrayed David. And had Judas done that, he never would have betrayed Jesus. They didn't do that. We are called to do that. Benjamin has come down and what, uh, what Joseph has done is he, he took his uh, uh, special uh, silver cup that he had, his own silver cup, and he puts it in the satchel or the bag of, of grain that belongs to Benjamin. And then after the brothers and Benjamin all leave, he sends you know, his, his, his men out to, to get them and He's saying, basically, we need to search through what you've got because the silver cup has been taken from Joseph's home and we think one of you guys took it. You're repaying evil for good. But, but, <laughs> but Joseph put it there. He had them put it there. And so when they search through uh, Benjamin's wheat sack, of course, there it is, the silver cup. And so they're bringing him back, and, and Joseph is saying, you, I mean, Benjamin is mine. You've got, you got to leave him here with me. The rest of you guys can go home, but you've got to leave him here. Well, this is going to, the father is going to die. I mean, the sons are very concerned about their dad because, first of all, they went out on a limb begging their father to allow them to take Benjamin with them down there. And now we're going to come home and say, we don't have him? Oh, my. See, see this is the kind of thing that's going to happen now, you say, do you know exactly how these are going to... No, I don't know. I have no idea exactly the events and how they're going to transpire. But the general theme we see from the types. The general theme we see from the types. And does this apply to national Israel or Israel as a nation? Absolutely, yes, it does. Yes, it does. All right, so here we go. And now, when they are, come back, there's a conversation now between Judah and Joseph. And this is what I'd like to read for you. And I'm going to close. It's a conversation. But remember, these are types. Well, these were, uh, Joseph said, he said, For far be it then for me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. You know, that's Benjamin. He shall be my slave. And as for you, 
Go up in peace to your father. And then Judah came near to him. And this is what I want to read. This is Judah now. And Judah is the one who first said we should sell him into slavery. He saw the caravan coming. Let's take him up out of the pit because some of the others wanted to kill him. No, no, let's bring him up out of the pit and sell him into slavery. That was Judah that wanted to do that. Now it's the same Judah now who's saying this. Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead. That means Joseph. His brother is dead. And he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. And then you said to your servant, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. And so it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go back and buy a a little food. But we said we cannot go down if our youngest brother is not with us. Then we will, if, if he is with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. This is just heart-touching. This is, uh, you, call, you talk about repentance. This is repentance. This is a changing of the mind. This is repentance. Will Israel come to a place of repentance with regards to Messiah Jesus? Yes. Exactly all the events that will require it, bring it to pass, we don't know exactly. But will it come to pass? Yes, it will come to pass. Yes, it will. Because they deserve it? No, no. It will come to pass. Because of the promises of God, it will come to pass. Listen to this. Then Joseph, and Joseph is the type of Messiah. 
So there's something that happens now. Listen to this. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out. Make everyone to go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph requires everyone to leave. He can't, he can't, he is filled with emotion and love for his brothers. And he must reveal himself to his brothers. He must tell them who he is. Because now they're ready for him to do so. Did he do that right away? No. They had to come to a certain place of heart and mind that would make it appropriate for Joseph to reveal himself to them. That's the same way as it will be in the future. That's the way it will be. It will be that way. But it also tells us the heart of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. Does he hate the Jews? No, he loves them. Does he love only them? No, he loves the world. He came for the sins of the world. But there's a special requirement and relationship and bond and fulfillment of prophecies for the nation of Israel as a nation. So he made everyone go out. And Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Let me read just a few more verses here. And he, Joseph, wept aloud. He wept aloud. And uh, the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. They didn't see it because they had been told to leave. See, there's a privacy involved here. There's a personal revelation of self here. Everybody else that's excluded is excluded from it, but they can hear it. They're aware of something, but they can't see it. Again, he says, it says, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. I am Jesus, your Messiah, whom you crucified. That's the fulfillment. This is the type. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not, therefore, be grieved or angry. Listen to this. Listen to this. After everything that he has been required to endure because of the rejection of him. And why did they reject him in the first place? Because God spoke through him and revealed things through Joseph in dreams. And when he spoke them to his family, they hated him. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Yet God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. Listen to this. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And will that happen with Israel as a nation? Yes, it will. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all 
the land of Egypt. One more verse. Hurry and go up to my father. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your... Go up to my father. Who's... What's his name? Jacob. What's his other name? Israel. Go and say to my... Go and say to Israel. Thus says your son Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. Come down to me and do not tarry. Now, will the events that are future exactly follow? No. No, they'll be different. Just in the same way as uh, you are different from the shadow that you cast. There's a difference between the shadow and the reality. And there will be a difference between what was just read and the ultimate fulfillment that is yet future. But this is why I say that the future is hidden in the past. The likenesses are hidden in the past. Look for the way marks as you journey on. Look for the way marks passing one by one. Down through the ages past the kingdom's fall. We open this morning with Helen Barth. This is from her album Softly and Tenderly, Oh to Be Like Thee. We conclude this morning with the King's Heralds as they present for us Look for the Waymarks. Down through the ages, past the kingdom's fall. Look for the waymarks, the great prophetic waymarks. The journey's almost over. First the Babylonian kingdom ruled the world. Then Medo Persia's banners were unfurled, and after Greece held universal sway, Rome seized the scepter. Where are we today? Down in the feet of iron and of clay, we can soon to pass away what will the next great glorious drama be Christ and his coming and eternity look for the way marks the great prophetic way marks down through the kingdom's fall. Look for the way marks the great prophetic way marks the journey